Welcome to the New Ventures podcast. Our guest for today is Sujay Malve, the founder of Canopy Power, a Singapore-based company that provides microgrid solutions. Sujay is actually from India and studied and worked in the United States before he came to Singapore in 2012 to work for the international solar panel manufacturer, REC, after which he, of course, set up Canopy Power. Welcome to the podcast, Sujay. Thank you very much, Sanjay. Very happy to be here. You know, we last talked in 2017, and you won't believe it, you only had four employees at that time. I was looking at my notes. How have been the last few years? Looks like you have been up to something really exciting. Yes, you are right, Sanjay. We, we started five years ago, and I remember talking to you in 2017, and indeed, we, we had four people in the team at that time. Uh, today, the team has grown from four to 13, and very soon, it will be 15 people. So there is uh, there's exciting growth in this field of microgrids, what, what we focus on. As you know, the main focus is on renewable energy microgrids to help out the customers in Southeast Asia especially the commercial and industrial outfits who are located remotely or who are located at the edge of the grid and does not have access to the grid at all or in some cases, very poor grid. So these guys are dependent on diesel. And what we help them with is we provide technical financial solutions to make energy transition, to go from diesel to uh, renewable energy microgrids where diesel becomes backup and majority of electricity for them comes from solar, wind, or any other renewable source which makes on makes sense on that site. Great. And how have uh, things been during the pandemic? I mean, you obviously already mentioned that you're working in remote areas, you know, places at the edge of the grid. You know, that's not been easy, I'm sure. How have you been navigating the challenges of getting these businesses and going to these remote places to install solutions? Pandemic has been challenging for everybody, right? So there is no difference here. The biggest impact is the travel restrictions on us. Very difficult to uh, get out of Singapore, come back or visit other countries in Southeast Asia, especially in this year, 2021, uh, the uh, countries like Indonesia, Philippines, Cambodia, uh, Malaysia, where we have projects, uh, they are badly hit, right? So that's the bad part of it. However, what we have seen in last 18 months is actually change in customer mindset faster than what we saw even before in last three, four years before that. I think one of the positive impacts of pandemic has been individuals and corporations are thinking about sustainability a little more seriously. And that's very clear from the inquiries we are, we are getting over last 12 months or so. You may remember that uh, when we started the business, the initial focus was on hospitality, uh, island resorts and similar type of businesses. The main reason was they were the early adopters of this technology. But if you look at the type of customers we have today, less than 50% is hospitality. And the rest is actually a very diverse type of businesses, for example, fisheries, mines, plantations, remote uh, F&B uh, businesses. So it, it, that's a positive impact of pandemic. So at this stage, we are waiting for things to open up, hopefully in over last next six months or so. 
and we can execute on the projects which we have already signed and we have signed projects in Cambodia, Indonesia. We are signing projects, designing projects in Papua New Guinea, in Fiji, Australia. So quite a diverse pipeline and several signed projects. So now it's, it's the wait for economies to open so that we can go and execute. Right. And with vaccination proceeding, in, uh, travel borders should open. At least we all hope so. But it also seems like, because you are a relatively small team based in Singapore and you have customers all over uh, the neighboring regions as well as Fiji and Papua New Guinea, that means it is also true, I suppose, that you have been closing deals remotely. Is this something new or were you always closing deals remotely? It's, it's a bit new, I would say. Uh, however, what we have now a luxury of like we have 10 people here in Singapore, but we do have one person in Indonesia, one in Cambodia, one in Myanmar. And that has helped us to get the support in those countries, especially for site service and all that. So, however, we have closed deals now where we have not met the customers face to face. So definitely that, that's something new for us. Right. So look, I've been in enterprise sales for many years, right? To me, it's surprising not meeting a customer face-to-face -face and closing a significant deal, right, of a new technology. That to me, uh, you know, sounds really something quite different, but seems that you, it's part of a natural trend from your voice. It's part of natural trend for first several months of pandemic, no deals were closed, right? Because everybody thought things will open up soon and we will meet face to face. But somewhere down the line, it was accepted, but by most of the people that it's going to take time, maybe a year or two years for things to normalize. And this is when things started moving again. One advantage we also had was for some of the deals, significant deals, the customers were already based in Singapore, even though the site was uh, in some other country. So it was a, it was a mix. But definitely there are some deals there where we have not seen the customer, we have not been to the site. We were able to send a third party consultants to go on site and do the site survey on our behalf as per our process. And using that inform information, we were able to design the system and then uh, give proposal to our customer. Perfect. Uh, that's great. You know, Sujay, one of the things that uh, I want to talk a little bit about is that is your customer base. Uh, obviously, you already mentioned that initially the early adopters were the hospitality sectors, and but of course now only 50% or less is, comes from that sector. But that's still a very uh, significant part of your business, right? And I know I've look, been looking at your website, you've already done a half a dozen projects in these resorts for remote islands. Tell us a little bit about these projects. So... There are two types of customers in these markets. I call them premium customers and commodity customers. So the resort or hospitality falls into premium uh, category. Uh, we call it premium because they, by doing these projects, they not only save cost because they're replacing diesel with renewables, which is actually cheaper, uh, but they are, they are also able to increase their revenue because they market uh, these activities and they, they were also able to increase their per night rates, you know, because so now they can prove that they are truly green, not just for namesake. 
so that and that was one of the reasons why resorts or hospitality industry was the early adopters for us for for renewable energy microgrids the typical projects we do with these guys are renewable energy hybrids most of the cases is solar pv diesel and uh, energy storage hybrid with a smart control on top of it so that that's how a typical project would look and we have helped uh, customers to save anything from 30% to 80% of their diesel consumption this number varies because it's it's a function of how much solar or how much renewable energy asset you can install on site and sometimes there is no space sometimes there are capex issues and all that also a lot of projects we did were uh, it was decided upfront with the customer that they will do them in phases and because the technology was new and everybody wanted to check it out so uh, some of our customers have gone ahead with 30 40% penetration of renewable and now they are, they have come back and they are ready to go whenever things open up to go for the second phase basically to add more capacity to go 70 80 or in some cases 90% penetration this is fascinating and i'm going to pick up and try and understand this a little bit more in detail so when you say 70 80% uh, it could be the goal of re penetration is it 70 80% of the total electricity consumption or of the total diesel consumption it's both actually because in the base case they they are using 100% diesel so when we generate say 80% of their electricity from renewables obviously the diesel consumption falls down by almost 80% it goes hand in hand right so many of your customers are i mean are resorts completely off the grid i mean the grid just does not reach that in those islands is it absolutely yes because if you look at the geography of countries like indonesia or philippines there are thousands of islands indonesia has 14000 islands and 7000 islands are inhabited uh just by definite just by geography or they're never going to get the grid there so if you are a community on these islands or if you are a business on this island the only way you can have electricity is by running diesel gensets that's the kind of a cheapest way to do that or until now now you can actually add renewables in it to make it actually just make the diesel gensets as backup we generally don't go for 100% renewables because to have that last 10 to 20% penetration the capex or the size of the system uh, solar system just grows exponentially so you would see that the generally for a resort 60 70% is an optimal uh, penetration beyond that overall cost of electricity the per kilowatt hour cost increases the the penetration is also a function of the load curve you know some technicality there but typically 80 90% penetration is possible for most of the industrial uh, customers but what this also means is instead of running diesel genset 24 hours a day now they are running it one or two hour a day you know that's that's the difference right so most of our audience will probably understand these technical details like um, the load load curve and what i think you're referring to is the fact that the large part of the electricity consumption of these resorts is in the night right so what you're saying is that solar is produced during the day and uh, then has to be stored and so when 
the uh, penetration is uh, very very high, 80, 90%, then the battery costs go up. Is that what you're trying to say? Yes, exactly. So uh, a typical resort has two peaks. Uh, one in the morning and one in the evening after sunset during dinner time, and that's a bigger peak. So if you want to turn your genset off at that time in the evening, obviously you don't have sun at that time. So what happens is you design the solar system in such a way that there's a lot of excess generated during the day that goes in the battery, and then the battery will take care of the load uh, after sunset. And as I said, if you have a 70, 80% penetration, Battery will be uh, taking care of the load until 3, 4, 5 a.m. And then the genset will just run from, say, 5 a.m. to 7 or 8 a.m. Then sun comes out and again the cycle starts. Right, right. And uh, it'll be good for us to now sort of understand a little bit about these customers. You know, are these um, sort of individual standalone resorts or are they part of a chain? typically in how many rooms they have and what size of the installation you do? Yes, it's a mix. Uh, however, the initial customers were small, just single standalone resorts or a small group of resorts, like two, three resorts. However, we have now talking to some resort chains who have 10, 20, 30 properties uh, all over Asia or say also in Caribbean, that type of thing. However, the typical resort we deal with, uh, these are most of the time high-end resorts because they're island resorts. So they tend to be um, high-end resorts with anything between 30 to 50 villas, not just rooms, but separate villas uh, on the island with several restaurants and all that. The load of these uh, a typical average load will be anything between few hundred kilowatt to megawatt or more than megawatt, you know. So the systems we have uh, built, I mean, they will average out something like three, four hundred kilowatt solar and four, five hundred kilowatt hour batteries. But this is average. Uh, there are some projects which are smaller, some projects which, which we have designed and will be building will be a megawatt plus kind of solar plus two megawatt hour battery, that kind of a storage capacity. Right. And then, you know, obviously the customer saves money on the diesel and you have already talked about the amount of diesel that is saved, which is quite a large amount, but just to help our listeners understand in terms of money, how much money does the uh, resort of let's say 30, 40 villas save? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's again relative. Uh, so thousands of liters, uh, you can look at it that way. Uh, their OPEX for energy, that's the, just the marginal, um, uh, the monthly OPEX goes down obviously by uh, 70-80%. Let me put it in a different way. When they build these uh, systems or purchase the whole turnkey system from us, right? Their payback, uh, and again, the payback is, again, function of how much they're paying for diesel itself. It's generally going to be anything between four to seven years. Yeah. So some places is longer because diesel is cheaper, uh, but four to seven years, but the system lifetime can be anything between 20 to 25 years. Uh, when I say four to seven, seven years, we are already considering the replacement cost of batteries, uh, inverters after 10 years or so. So in very simple terms, uh, you, can, you can buy this system and after say six years, seven years, it's kind of going to give you free electricity. 
Yeah, so that's another way to look at it. Right, and of course you can, uh, the customers can buy the system, but it also seems that you provide at least a range for the financing, right? So who finances these projects? That's a very interesting one, right? So there are cases many times you have a very bankable customer and they need to in, in invest say a million dollars to build this particular system on their island. But you know, the business may not have million dollars or maybe they, are, they already have planned to expand their resort, right? And in that case, even though there is a, it's a very good case of microgrid and you have a very solid willing and a robust bankable customer, uh, the projects may not happen. The reason is they may not have $1 million today to put on the table. And this is where financing plays a very critical role. So if some kind of financing is provided to the customer and they don't have to incur this capex, they, there is a very high chance they would go for the project, right? So financing becomes a key enabler to, to make these projects happen. And um, there are few business models which work. Uh, so one is power purchase agreement, PPA, as you know, so many customers have been able to afford it, right? However, once the projects becomes, uh, they become a little bit expensive, the customers need some kind of financing because you might have a very technically sound case of microgrid and a willing and bankable customer, but if they don't have that cash, uh, to invest at that time, the project doesn't happen. So financing becomes a very important enabler for, for realization of projects. So if the project is not self-financed by the customer, they, uh, there are investors and Canopy Power, or we already have our own fund. We have a JV with a Swiss fund called SUSI Capital, S-U-S-I, SUSI Capital. And uh, through this JV, we finance these projects. There are typical, the business models we use are PPA, power purchase agreement. Basically the customer only pays for the electricity consumed while the asset is still owned by JV or some jurisdiction don't allow PPA. That's the, then we go for leasing. Basically it's no different than say buying a car, customer pays 10, 20% upfront, and then the rest of the money they will pay over say five years. But in any case, we design the financing or the payment terms for the customer in such a way that they will end up paying less than what they're paying today, every month. So creating a very, very solid case for them to go for this. So basically minimal down payment. And then from day one, they start, start saving. And plus they can stop the gen sets the pain of uh, the logistics uh, they have to deal with of diesel, that goes away. The genset is uh, like not running for say 22 hours. That means it's quiet and then, and it's green. So there are a lot of positives which comes with it, but we make sure the first thing is the cost of electricity is lesser than what they are paying today with just diesel only case. Right, right. And you've already talked about the payback period, which is four to seven years, which really makes it very interesting. It's of course great that you have a, a partnership with a fund because in, then, then the customer really gets a, a you know, full solution, so to speak. Typically, how long is the tenure of, of the funding that the customer gets from a partner like Susi Capital? Correct. So the PPA tenures will be anything between 10 to 15 years. They, are, they tend to be a little longer. And if it's leasing, then it can be anything between 5 to 10 years. Yeah, and I'm just curious, you know, but obviously it's, it is great that a 
investor like Susi Capital is funding the energy transition. But I'm curious, you know, with the havoc that has been created on international travel and tourism, are they worried a little bit about, uh, you know, the creditworthiness of these resorts? I mean, uh, most of these resorts in Southeast Asia are actually closed today, so they are not generating any revenue. These businesses have been there, and in normal times, they are very successful businesses. So the general view is things will become normal sooner than later, and these businesses will 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 start making money again. You know, uh, so as long as their financials pre-pandemic were solid, there is still interest in providing financing to them. Right, and like many people in the world, I am also really hoping that things become. Um, normal and perhaps even uh, better. And so I wanted to pick up one sentence you had used earlier, which is, you know, that uh, these resorts can actually improve their revenue by by sort of projecting themselves as more sustainable. Now, now in the coming years, there will be hopefully a lot of talk around digital nomads, nomads you know, people who will be living and working for a long period of time in these hotels. Do you have any comments about, because you work with these customers, do you have any comments around this broader trend around sustainable tourism? And, you know, how do you see that impact your business? If you see a trend at all, of course. Uh, definitely, there is there is going to be a broader tr- uh, trend. And just to give an idea, so now these resorts, our current customers, as well as the customers, the, the new customers, they're looking beyond just changing their energy mix. They are looking at things like they use diesel boats, right? For ferrying their customers from mainland to the island and for doing the say diving excursions and all that. And now so many of them are looking at going electrical. So it's not only EVs, but like electrical boats. That's another trend we are seeing. And they don't want to charge these boats using diesel power. They would like to charge them using solar power, ideally, you know, so to keep it more sustainable. So it's not just the usage of electricity on the island, but also for transportation. So that's there. What we are hearing from our customers are people are looking at paying money to the resorts or hospitality outfits, which are actually truly sustainable. The the true true level where they are making huge impact because uh, tourists are actually aware of carbon footprint they are going to create when somebody flies from Europe and goes to this res- this resort in Indonesia. They know that there's that impact. So when we're, when they're there, they don't want to live at the place which runs 100% on diesel. The, the awareness is high on the customer side, and maybe that has driven awareness on the business side upwards. People going to stay at these places longer, I think that also going to happen because if people are going to work from home, in some cases, they would like to work from places like such places for for a month. So there is expectation that the number of days people will be staying will be longer. And again, when people do that, they are more aware of sustainability, you know, so it, it all comes back. And hence, we believe that all this is going to end up pushing the demand for energy transition solutions or sustainability solutions. The demand is going to go upwards. Right. I'm so happy that you're saying this because, you know, I have traveled a lot in Southeast Asia and I've always wondered, you know, as you sort of, you know, take your uh, island hopping tour, you know, off Lankavi or in uh, Koh Samoy or Koh Phi Phi in Thailand, 
boats run by, of course, not the resorts, but by the tour operators who could be financially weaker, of course. So there are those issues uh, are all diesel powered. And I'm often wondered, you know, why can't they, for example, use uh, the cooking oil from the used cooking oil from all the resorts around to, to convert them to biodiesel? But you're saying that there'll be electric boats, which is also great, I think. You know, I'm re- I really look forward, actually, as you know, over the next months uh, to get back to these places and but before that, you know, let's talk a little bit about the other segments that you are now targeting. Uh, you said now the we talked a lot about resorts, but that's actually now less than 50% of your total business. You have uh, other segments, fisheries, mining, remote F&B outlets. Those are the things that you mentioned. Now just tell us a little bit about those types of emerging customers. Yeah, so these emerging customers are, again, they are driven by uh, two things, like uh, how resorts were driven uh, five years ago, saving money on their fuel. That's number one. And then number two is making going for energy transition just to make an impact, environmental impact. In some cases, if it's a large company, it's an internal drive. And but in many cases, what we have seen is there is a pressure coming uh, from the customers of these businesses. So take an example of a typical fishery uh, in Indonesia or in Maldives. These are the type of businesses we are talking to. They sell to large supermarket chains in US, uh, in Japan, in Europe. And these customers who have that purchasing power pushing their suppliers of say fish or so to go to to be more sustainable not only uh, being sustainable in the process of catching fish but also the overall processing plant you know they have they they have cold storage and all that and they're like you can't run the cold storage just using diesel you have to have certain percentage of renewables in that so again there is a drive or, or there's a push coming from the demand side and which is changing the mindset of of the of these suppliers. So that's one thing we are seeing. Right. So it's, in this case, it, the push from the customer is already happening, right? In a typical fishery, uh, are the economics in on and the size of installations similar to the resorts, or you know, because they are cold storage, I assume they would be larger, right? So. The typical sizes of the projects with uh, some th- uh, industry like say fishery, it's definitely larger than the average resort. And we are looking at uh, solar installations between one to three megawatt and energy storage, say lithium and batteries uh, in that proportion also. So these projects are larger and generally they will provide anything between 40, 50, 60% of penetration with this type of installation for, for a medium to large size fishery or in some cases cannery where they, they can tuna, they can sardines. Right. Earlier in your conversation, you mentioned the smart monitoring system on top of your projects, right? Obviously, you know, it's because you work in these remote areas, it's no brainer that you would develop one. And you call it a nice name, huh? Hornbill, you know, can you tell us a little bit about how your customers benefit from uh, the Hornbill installation? Yes, yes. So uh, Hornbill is one of the largest birds under canopy. That's where the name came from. So Hornbill, we started developing it four years ago just to de-risk our own projects because you, as you said, that these projects are remote and if something goes wrong, you need to know what's happening and take care of it right away. Otherwise, sending a person there to fix it, it's very expensive. 
so the idea was to build a, a remote monitoring system but it actually started there and today it has grown from remote monitoring to remote management where sitting in singapore we can manage the hardware which is on site uh, load side as well as generation site and storage and everything then data analytics we are putting a lot of effort into data analytics so that we can predict if something is going to go wrong before it goes wrong yeah so that's one use of it and then the, the hornbill today is doing some uh, cool stuff the hornbill platform itself we can mint uh, renewable energy certificates through blockchain using hornbill platform and another another partner we have in the us so it has uh, so what started as monitoring system today it has become a complete asset management platform for a renewable energy microgrids and now we are getting seeing demand for our solutions from grid connected developers and epc companies for grid connected solar so we are we are creating some new products a variation of hornbill which will be like a more simple system uh, but more cost effective so hornbill system is mandatory in our projects for sure but also there is demand coming in from third party installers and developers to de-risk their projects also using hornbill so essentially you know the way i understand it it increases the upkeep of this uh, the generation of the electricity from the system and it reduces the maintenance cost to a certain extent right yes that's the core of it it focuses increasing or keeping the uptime of the system at the maximum and uh, also solving the problems remotely then instead of sending somebody there and hence reducing the cost of maintenance and also reducing the downtime because if something goes down right and this uh, issue around you know renewable energy certificates i think this is very interesting the other people are sort of you know are toying around with the idea of having a, a trading in what they call you know drex that is distributed renewable energy certificates do you see your customers using these certificates at all and that's question number 1 and question number 2 can you help explain to our users the importance of the blockchain technology in this transaction yes so let me start with blockchain here right the way renewable energy certificates are created uh, there are registries in the world and there is a physical validation which happens of the system or the generation physical validation means manually somebody some person goes to the site and make sure that uh, yes the system exists and it has generated this much over last one year then that data gets registered and renewable energy certificates were created then they can be sold or transacted on the exchange right so that's the process in our case because our projects are remote doing this manual validation it becomes very very expensive however on the other side the renewable energy certificates we would we generate are actually high impact certificates right because we are not placing the electricity in the grid which might be gas you know which is already relatively cleaner but we are replacing diesel obviously exactly, exactly which is extremely dirty so we are like if we don't solve this problem of validation our customers will not be able to monetize the renewable energy certificates or these attributes which are generated from their projects so uh, that's why we partnered up with the company in the us and we very recently we have started for some of our projects uh, minting these rec's through blockchain so basically Uh, you replace the validator with the blockchain there is a revenue grade meter on site it sends data to the blockchain 
and then the blockchain it, it, it then it gets processed onwards from there the revenue grade meter is part of hornbill so that's where it's connected to hornbill but because of we have solved this whole problem from site to the exchange the data flows in a secured manner and uh, these renewable energy certificates then can be sold on the exchange created by our partner in the us right next time we speak i guess we'll talk more about this and see how your customers are benefiting and so on and so forth uh, but today we are at the end of this uh, podcast and i have to ask you one final question is you know you made singapore your home how does it help to locate your business in singapore singapore the location is great right it's in the heart of southeast asia where the demand for renewable energy microgrids is very high uh, it's a nascent market demand is growing but this is where it's the most of the action is going to happen that that's number one that's why it's good to be in singapore but secondly because it's a commercial hub of the region lots of customers have offices or presence in singapore especially the larger customers secondly because of the institutions the educational institutions in singapore you also get very good talent here and the most important thing is uh, when you are a startup you will also able to find investors the vcs uh, based here in singapore so even though uh, i mean uh, singapore is a relatively expensive place here in southeast asia there are some benefits and advantages of being here as a startup in energy right right have you benefited a little bit from the ecosystem of incubators accelerators and venture capital providers in singapore i mean obviously you have a very good tie up with the swiss fund who naturally would prefer a singapore based organization uh, but uh, the local ecosystem local ecosystem is strong and growing in singapore for startups in general uh, the the vc community in just in 5 years also that the, there has been like double the number of vcs now in singapore and just being in singapore you know it's um, because the rules are strong and strict generally the due diligence and whatever happens uh, when you're raising funds it also becomes quicker because you're here in singapore and uh, the data is already there and it, things can be validated very easily that has benefited so location singapore location has benefited directly and in, indirectly because uh, some of our investors are located in singapore itself and those who were not actually preferred to invest in a company like in a in a safe and secure place like singapore i think that's really the you know the great thing of being in singapore apart from the wonderful street food and the street hawker food so next time we meet <laughs> yeah. sujay uh hopefully it'll be over a fish head soup in a hawker center talking about how your customers have benefited from the direct in the meantime thank you very much thank you very much sanja i look forward to meeting you again